loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Uh, Before I begin today, I want to mention a really exciting project I've just gotten involved with. Uh, Open IDEO is an organization that uh, generates idea development in important areas in a global um, in a global conversation. Uh, one of their latest challenges is so relevant to many, many of the guests that I have on this show. The question is, the question they're investigating is, how might we reimagine the end-of-life experience for ourselves and our loved ones? And so I've um, become what they call a booster, which just means I'm trying to get the word out about this project. It's just such a relevant question to me and so many people who have, who have faced our own end-of-life or the, or the end-of-life of someone we love. Um, and so if you go to openideo.com and look for the end of life challenge, you can share your own story, you can get involved in sharing ideas and find other people that want to discuss ideas for how to uh, address that question and then they will, will be uh, uh, receiving ideas from people all over the world, kind of uh, having some experts in the field and, and interested others figure out which ideas might might really be able to fly and work and uh, then putting them into motion. So I'll be talking more about it in the next few months, but that gives you a start and um, you can go share your story. Today I'm talking with Norm McInerney-Pormort. Nora's a contributing editor for L.com and a frequent contributor to Cosmo.com, the Huffington Post, and the Star Tribune. She's been featured on NPR, Slate, Time, Entertainment, Tonight, Refinery29, and more. She's the founder of Still Kickin' and lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota with her son, Ralph, and she says they really like it there. Probably hear more about that. Welcome, Nora. Hi. Uh, what isn't in your bio- biography, but of course we'll be talking about it very um, fully, is the book that you have that's about to come out in a few in a few days. It's okay yeah. to laugh. It's okay to laugh. Crying is cool too, which I love mm-hmm. the title. And Thank you. Um, I I love the book because, uh, as I was saying to you before we started, I had no sense of humor when my wife got sick. And developed one in the course of her being ill, but you're so much better at it because you had it already. And <laughs> so I just, I just loved it. Um, I, I hope people will go. I'm sure people are going to read it because it's just so. Um, uh, th- those two things to bring bring humor and depth to a subject of loss is just um, so helpful. So thank you for the book. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Could you tell people a little bit, you know, of your experience, um, how you came to write the book, and um, for for those of those of them that that haven't heard your story yet? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out um, with just a couple lighthearted bullet points, which is that in uh, 2014, um, uh, in October, I had a miscarriage. And then seven days later, my dad died of cancer of basically everything. And then six weeks later, my husband died of brain cancer. So 2014 was the worst. Um, at the time, you know, my husband had been sick for three years. He had had a seizure, you know, a year after we were dating and the seizure, you know, was a pivotal moment in our lives. Prior to that, we had had no problems like so many other young people, mm. um, you know, like we, it was just such a, it was such a bizarre occurrence that we were both sitting in the hospital like, okay, can we go home now? Why are you making such a big deal out of it? He had a seizure. It's over. We'll go home. Um, but they were making a big deal out of it because it's a big deal, especially mm-hmm. when you have a brain tumor. And especially when that brain tumor is pretty much the worst form of brain cancer that there is. So that kind of, um, it changed everything for us. We, you know, got married a month after he had brain surgery. We had a baby a year later and we really lived our lives as well as we could for as long as he was here, which was about, about three years later. So through that time I had written a blog called, um, you know, not very creatively titled, but descriptively titled myhusbandstumor.com. And I wrote it really for our friends and family so that I wouldn't have to write so many damn update emails about... Amen. Amen um, on that. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're so awful. They're so awful to write. And then you, there's all the replies. And I was like, I'll just put it all in one place and you guys can see it here or not. Um, and really as a way of like uh, just chronicling my own you know, experiences with this. I knew when it was happening that I was very good at remembering good things about my life, but that it's very easy to sort of close your eyes and wait for the bad parts to be over. And I didn't want to do that. I, I, I don't know why, but I didn't want to. So, um, I, I'd written this blog and for whatever reason, more people than just our friends and family actually read it and it became sort of internet popular in its own weird corner of the internet and as Aaron was dying actively when he was put into hospice, uh, he and I wrote his obituary together. And that obituary, you know, was uh, was not fact checked by the by the by the, by the <laughs> newspaper that printed it. And it said, among other things, that uh, you know he was married to Gwen Stefani, um, his first wife. Um, which was a fiction, and also said, <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you added yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, people also like I think thought that that was just a coincidental name of another woman because several <laughs> of my friends' grandparents were like, "Wow, that was so, you know, mature of you to include her in the obituary." And I'm like, "Oh, I think you just didn't get the joke." Um, <laughs> but no, we meant okay. Um, and we also revealed his identity as Spider Man. And Aaron had been, you know, a huge comic book nerd. And the way that we framed his death was he didn't die just of cancer. He died of this, you know, radioactive spider bite that gave him superpowers and turned him into a hero uh, because that felt the most true for who he was and how we had experienced those three years. And also, we didn't think it would be published, but it was. And it really went like crazy viral on the internet and was, you know, on TV which is a very weird thing to have happen when you are planning um, what to wear to your husband's funeral. It is. And then I also know from, you know, my own experience that that's a bizarrely, 
of course, painful, but also sort of um, door open time for a lot of people. You know, I just felt so clear during that time. Later, it was it was difficult, but you know, kind of driven to <laughs> to. Yeah. You could have said, "No, I'm not going on TV," but there's this sort of drive to express the person you've lost. I guess is how I'd put it. That I think exactly. I'm hearing. I'm hearing yeah, and what you're saying. How could you say no to that, you know, kind of thing, which maybe shocks yeah. people a little. And also to have, like, to have that story be told the way that the two of you wanted it to be told. None of, nobody wants somebody else's pity, and that's the first thing you get when something happens. And I didn't want Aaron to be a sad story. And there's no way to, to communicate to the rest of the world what our dead people mean to us. There isn't. But, right. um, or, and to have it mean the same thing to everybody, but we still do our best. And, you know, that's, that's for us and it's for the person we lost and it's, it's worth doing, even though it's totally, you know, sometimes it makes you do bizarre things like, you know, go on TV, like the day after your husband died, which, you know, you, you haven't even showered yet. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, the other thing that I, I really resonated with is, uh, you know, you had only been together about a year. Is that correct? When he yeah, was diagnosed? Exactly a year. Yeah. And um, I think that imagining, I know that many of my friends had a lot of trouble understanding me uh, being so committed, not not leaving a person who's gotten ill or you know oh you didn't did you stayed you know you got married you had a kid but there's mm-hmm. kind of a um this this hidden part that's sort of um having to live right now maybe or mm-hmm. how did you experience that that you said you yeah. got married a month later and you know you kind of went fast forward yes yeah but it didn't it didn't necessarily feel that way we had been talking about getting married you know on our first date in one of the chapters, I say that like our first date conversation was, you know, the typical like, Oh, what's your family like? And then like, how many kids do you want? Which one of us would be a stay at home parent? Him, not me. Um, and so it had just, we had just fit together and picked each other so soon that it didn't feel rushed, but there is not necessarily a sense of urgency, but a sense of clarity when things like that happen. And there was no other place for me to be. There was no other version of events where I would be, where I would have broken up with him or where I would have been, you know, his girlfriend and not his wife. Um, We had been laying in bed that night in the hospital when they, you know, forced him to stay, which we thought was ridiculous. And they had told him he had a brain tumor and he was like, there's no way you can't marry me. This is, you know, this is, this is going to be bad. And I was like, I am going to marry you twice as hard. Okay. I'm going to marry you like as soon as we're out of here, just so you know. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. We just agreed to it. And, um, you know, the, the baby thing, we ended up sort of deciding on that when we were at Disney World, which I don't think most people do. I think, if anything, Disney World makes you sort of want to shut down that part of your body. <laughs> it's a little, a little stressful. Um, <laughs> But we were there with our niece and nephew, and they're so lovely. And, you know, even when they were throwing fits, you know, we, we knew we wanted, like, that experience. And I wanted Aaron to to be a father. He was just meant to be one. He was so wonderful. 
Um, but I, you know, nobody really asked me to my face about that. One person did, and they were a person who was close to us in our family. And I, I almost, I just didn't really have much to say other than like, this is, this is what's happening. I don't, I can't explain it to you because if you don't get it, you're never going to get it. Um, cause it's just so obvious to, to me, like, this is, this is where we are. This is what we do now. You know, I think that's, um, I, I am now, my wife's been dead for 20 years. Uh, but when she was diagnosed, we were young. Um, yeah. you know, uh, we basically knew no one that was having our experience. Now, of course, you know, when my parents die or a friend dies, you know, almost everyone in my life has had an experience like that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so there's this sense of kind of isolation. Did you feel that? I know I felt it at first. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. how, did you, how did you kind of um, get people up to speed? Because that's yeah, part absolutely. of what we're talking yeah. about, isn't it? It is. And it is, it's like, you know, grief is like a language and experience. And even when you're, and so suffering and suffering and loss are, um, are isolating almost always. And, you know, I've only ever gone through it as a young person, but I know that it's hard for people to look at hard things, even if they love you, even if they, they want to be there. Um, we were completely unique. And in some ways it was fascinating to people our age because it was a way for them to sort of like observe it from not in person, but the safe distance of the internet where Mm -hmm. they could throw out some Instagram likes or some Facebook shares and sort of try on those feelings and feel involved. But the vast majority of, you know, Aaron's wider group of friends, which was big, he was, you know, that the first year of us dating, we couldn't go out without us running into like, you know, a friend of Aaron's, um, was it, it, that circle grew much smaller. There were not a lot of people who could show up and who could look at it. And for a long time, and maybe I still sort of am, I was angry about that. Um, but now I feel bad for them that they've missed this depth of life experience. You can't avoid it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sure. catch up with you eventually, <laughs> all sure. of us. Uh, and these things are not like, you know, a disturbance to our lives. These things are our lives. Our lives are the sum of all these very good and very terrible things. And they missed out on, you know, this this depth of life that they could have experienced with somebody that they really, I know they really cared about, but somebody that they frankly failed to be there for. You know, that's uh, that's a really good point you're making. I I'm, It made me remember a couple of people who, uh, my, my wife's illness was much longer. She was, uh, she lived about eight and a half years after mm-hmm. diagnosis, even though it was supposed to be terminal within six months or a year. And um, Which don't some you think people- they sort of make that up? They're like, I'm just eyeballing this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I know for real. Like, it it also asked, was we, we were that, like, don't even tell us. Don't name yeah, a date just forget ever it. because we don't I, well, want to I, know. Yeah. I deal with that all the time with the cancer groups that I that I lead. You know, uh, either there either people will really admit they don't know, or they'll mm-hmm. say I don't know, like a year to ten years. You know, right. it's gotten even harder to predict. But um, yeah. for her treatments did change very profoundly in that first 
few years and she was really a stubborn person that was as <laughs> in there too but um you know so we had a long time to sort of adjust but some people kind of disappeared at the beginning and then when it really was clear this is the end like she had gone to bed they came back and it was kind of a horror show for them because they had well, had yeah. they, they hadn't they hadn't been there so it was just this horrible shock yeah. Uh, when yeah, they came and, to say goodbye. Yeah, and I have, like, I have really strong feelings about that. Um, we kept our doors shut for the most part for that, and that was hard for people, but I have no regrets. You should say those things before it's too late. Um, and when somebody's dying, it is too late. You know from watching your wife, like, they don't care about you unburdening yourself. <laughs> like, right, at the, right. At the end of their life, like, this is for, and I, I didn't let people in. I'd asked Aaron, like, who he wanted there, and, you know, the list was small. And so, uh, that, but yeah, it's very, I think it's very common and tragically, and it's really forced me to look at the ways that I was just not there for other people who had gone through something. Um, and you, you honestly don't know until you go through it. And I think what I hope people do is read this book and just try like put themselves in that awkward, uncomfortable space of like trying to say something or trying to do something because yes. when it happens to you and it will, something bad is happening to all of us eventually, sorry to bust, to, to burst your bubble. Um, you're going to remember most the people who didn't try because they were too afraid or for whatever reason. I think that's worth a, a, a us continuing after the break with because you're making such a big big point and uh i think we can fill it out a little more in terms of what people can say when they don't know what to say you know so that right, maybe yeah. that can ease that passage and listeners you can find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice america uh if you can't find the open ideo uh challenge you can you can email me about that too like me on facebook follow me on twitter etc etc and if you want to find nora mcinerney permart go to myhusbandstumor.com be back soon your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Nora McInerney Pormort, the author of... You got it. Ah, yay! <laughs> it's cool. okay. It's hard. It's, I combine the no, two well, worst you, last names just to uh, <laughs> make life hard for people. <laughs> to make you memorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's the author of It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, which is coming out on the 24th of May, correct? Yes. Exciting. Uh, and it's about how she coped with multiple losses in a short period of time. And I would say... Uh, you did a good job of backgrounding your your life as well before, and uh, I, I got a real strong sense of you in the world as well as you in that particular set of circumstances, which um, filled it out for me quite a bit. But we were talking before the break just about those people who sort of disappear and we'll often say later, I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do, it was too scary, etc. cetera. Um, right, yep. <laughs> you know, the, the list of um, excuses, really. Yes? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so let's help them out a little bit. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, for instance, people who would say... Who would call up and say, I really don't know what to say. That was perfectly all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you really can say that, can't you? God, I don't know totally. what to say. Um, totally. And yeah. what else? You, I'm sure you have some things up your sleeve that people can say in those circumstances. Yeah, there's, there's a whole chapter in my book where you know, I kind of account the many awkward things that people have said to me, including at my husband's funeral, don't worry, you're young you'll meet someone else. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, great. Like, tonight? What do you mean? Um, <laughs> Are you trying like to set you? me up with someone? Or? <laughs> right. It was, it was bizarre. But um, I've also sort of learned that that is, you know, at least somebody trying. Mm. And that uh, it's really hard for people to... It's okay. So I, let me know if this is your experience. I think when something bad happens to you, particularly a huge loss, you feel this immediate need to try to make it easier for other people to be around you. You try to make your loss more palatable to other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't, I, I barely cried at Aaron's funeral because I was so busy, you know, accepting and shaking hands of other people who were, who were crying and comforting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I always said fine when someone asked how I was because I didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And I think people say things like they want to be encouraging, you know, and say like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Or like, you know, life doesn't, God doesn't give you more than you can handle or everything happens for a reason. And 
those things, the spirit in which they're intended is kindness, but the way that they come across is like a little cruel in in a way. Um, I don't think that this happened for a reason. No, thanks. Um, If this is God's plan, I would like a different God. Um, And I think that it's okay to just say like exactly what you said, which is, I don't know what to say. And to acknowledge, like, really just acknowledge what happened. This is a terrible thing that happened. Like, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I I do think that comes a little easier. For instance, um, last Saturday, a friend of mine, not a really close friend, but I I really care for her. um, Her husband died all of a sudden. Well, I could just say, call me anytime. Because she knows right, yeah. I've been there, right? Yeah. Um, and and because I've been there, I wanted to say that. Yeah. You know, I wanted to say, uh, here at two in the morning, you know, whereas I think um, that's that's a lot to invite if you don't actually know the territory in a way. But, of course, you can say, God, this must be hell. This must be yeah. really hard. Or... Even, how is this for you? You know, what's really going on with you? Uh, All those kinds of inviting statements. And I agree with you that there's kindness in it, but there's also fear, don't you think? Oh, there's so much fear. There's so much fear. And the people who didn't say anything to you or the people who didn't say anything to me, and I remember them, I could tell you, I could name names right now if I wanted to, are people who are afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, or sometimes people are afraid, I think of bringing it up and like bringing up, you know, bringing you pain, but there's no world, as you know, where you forget that your wife is dead, where you forget that your husband or your dad or your baby is dead. Um, and like, it's nice to hear that somebody else is thinking about them, not just you, that you aren't the only person on earth who still remembers their presence. So, and, um, and maybe... I mean, I had a a ton of a long time to think about how I wanted to approach grief. You can't be prepared, but you can prepare, in a sense. Um, And so, honestly, I felt in a strange, this sounds a little odd even to me, but I was kind of honored to feel bad. Yeah. In this, you know, if you love someone, you don't want to forget they died. No, of course not. Yeah, I, know. I like I wouldn't that. Have want, yeah. I still don't want to. Twenty years later, no. it's such no. a ma- that event is such a major, big thing in my life. I want to remember it. Yeah, yeah. And I never, I, I really despise the phrase "moving on." Mm. There's no, there's no moving on. You, you absorb this loss and this person into you fully, um, and it, that's not living in the past. It's bringing them forward with you. There's not. There's, I, I, there's not a version of my future where I've moved on from this, where this isn't a defining part of who I am, where Aaron isn't a part of who I am because loving him and losing him made me the Nora I am now. And, you know, anybody who is in my life in the future is getting a version of me that I got from that experience and from that person. Absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so maybe closely aligned with this um, moving through instead of moving on or moving forward instead of moving on mm-hmm. is also the idea that if something bad happens to you and you you live 
further at all, you're a hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've been exposed to that idea too. How totally. do you do it? Or you must be so brave or you must be so strong or, uh, you know, um, what right. do you think about Actually, all that? I, yeah, I hear that a lot. Um, we have a chapter. I have my book here. If that's okay, I can just read a part of it. Absolutely. Um, I'd love people to hear the, the voice of your book. Yeah. So this, type, this chapter is called How You Do It, and it's about exactly that, which is, I don't know how you do it, people say. I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. It's meant as a compliment. I must be so strong, and it's nice to hear that people may think of me that way, but it's not exactly true. I'm not stronger than anybody. I mean, physically, I can do three pull-ups. I'm stronger than some people. But emotionally, I'm the same as anyone else. This strength isn't superhuman. It's the most human thing of all, a muscle we're born with but need to exercise rarely at best. And lucky for us, it's a tenacious little thing that bounces back from atrophy as soon as you need to flex it. Um, I think that... This, I mean, this whole chapter is really about the fact that you can do this because you won't have a choice. When something actually comes and takes your life and turns it on its side, you won't be able to not get out of bed in the morning because the world moves on, your life moves on, and nobody can do your life for you. So it's a nice compliment, but it really doesn't mean anything because if you've been through it, you know that anyone can do it because everyone has to do it. Yes, and I I feel that there's a way that um, people do make it hard to keep living sometimes by thinking the bad thing shouldn't have happened. You know, what you're saying is bad things happen. It's, it's life. Yeah. And there's something about that that is helpful. We're not heroes, but that's helpful. <laughs> kind of recognizing, right. yep, this bad thing just happened to happen to me. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, and therefore I have to do something in my life I didn't have to do before. Um, exactly. Our our children happened to be about the same age when our spouses died. Uh, my youngest well, child was two and, a, two and a half. And there's also that in it um, that uh, it's not depression. You know, there's still other things going on. Your your kid, you wake up and your kid is like, "Where's breakfast?" And you know, things do keep happening. Uh, yeah, the, exactly. Your kid, your kid wakes up every day and is like, I need breakfast. And you're like, oh, my God, again? Like, <laughs> no, I know. You're hungry. We just had breakfast again? yesterday. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you still want to smile and you still want to play with Legos and you still, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's because, some way yeah. that life uh, asks us to live it. Mm-hmm. Insist uh, and insist on being insists, lived. Insists on being lived, exactly. I, I, I don't know how many people listen to my show that have never had a huge loss. I hope some people do. But, and I think that's a big part of why I do this, to talk about the doability the, and the, the fact that some things come out of it that you then treasure and some things come out of it you could have very much done without. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think, I so now you know this. You probably have like way more than I do, actually. But once you've talked about stuff like this, like you become like this lighthouse that attracts other people's stories and you know other people's dead people, and that's because. You know, don't you find it interesting that complete strangers will reach out to you and want to tell you these things? Because the way I feel about it every time I get a story like that is that I'm I'm hearing something that their friends and family like just can't hear. Like that they're just not like they're that this person is reaching out to me, their best bet of being like heard and seen and really understood is a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. And in and that's an honor and it makes me want to do better at, you know, listening to other people, but also at like forcing other people to have uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, yeah. And it's like, there's not, there's not a version of my life where I would say, Oh, I could have my dad and you know, my, my miscarried baby and you know, my husband back. No, thanks. I've gotten all this you know, self-actualization. Um, I've just learned too much. I can't take them back. No, of course, I would take them back in a heartbeat. But at the same time, losing anything that means something to you gives your life a richness that it did not have before. And it, it makes you both appreciate the, the small aspects of being alive um, and also sort of marvel at the fact that you were able to get through something that you, you could not have imagined before your wife was sick. Like you were untouchable, right? Like there's, there was not, you weren't looking at her thinking of like, Oh my goodness, what if you, you know, die in the prime of your life? I wasn't. No, I, I was a I lot know. more concerned <laughs> about being left or, you know, being scared at a, like, socially scared at a party or something. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I was like, am I like, am I like, are my jeans a small enough size, you know, like just not, not really having, um, you know, I don't want to say like my concerns weren't real because, you know, still sometimes I'm worried about the, the about my jeans. Um, but they're not <laughs> like now my, now I just have like this different, like, um, point of view on life. And it does not mean I'm perfect. I'm still struggling to be a better person every day, but it's, it's, um, it does, it does change you. And I think that's okay too. I think people want to come out of things like shiny and, and, you know, okay. And it's totally fine. Also, if life hits you in the face with a lemon and you don't make it into lemonade, that's okay too. Yeah. I I watched your, uh, uh, the talk you gave, what what was the uh, venue? I'm I'm blanking the name of it, but you gave a, a talk, and it was basically about that. You know, we don't have to get better. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it's but a but talk there's for... an irony there, isn't there? Because we do change. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, lots of people change as a result of difficulty. Yeah, but there's no requirement. If it happens, if it happens, yes. Yeah, if if it happens, it happens. But I think like. I wrote a chapter called, I don't want to make it look easy. And that was sort of like a little bit what the talk was based on. And I might be able to find that page, but in the meantime, um, well, we're going to take a break soon and you oh, can great. read it when we Even come better. back. Okay. <laughs> You'll have a minute or two to, to um... you're good at these breaks. You're a professional. <laughs> Why? Thank you. 
yeah, I think that you know that um, I, that's that's a real um, important goal of mine in the show is not to make it look easy to say right, yeah we yeah. might get some if we choose to we might be able to make something out of it and it is not easy and i no, i know you, you don't know have that to. Uh, especially yeah. being hit by so many major things in such a short period of time how do you even figure out which thing is making you feel really bad a certain day um right exactly yeah <laughs> so yes we feel bad and some of us try to make something out of it yes mm-hmm. yeah and or some of us just it makes out something it. out of us i guess sometimes yeah. we're going to go to a break and then uh we'll come back and i'd love for you to share what you were thinking of there uh i don't want to make it look easy as our subject when we come mm-hmm. back and listeners during the break you can come you can find me at weatheringgrief.com and here's another place to find nora uh, sh- her handles at at all the social media and at her website is Nora Borealis, and the website is noraborealis.com if you want to connect with everything at once. We'll be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Nora McInerney-Permort talking about her book, It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, and Grief in General, and uh, how people relate to it, how we relate to difficult times. And before the break, uh, you were were looking for a part of your book that you might want to share. I don't want to make it look easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't want to make it look easy. I think that there's this sort of like, dangerous mythology around loss that you must take it and have it change you for the better and have it make you wiser and stronger and, you know, turn those lemons into lemonade. And that can happen, but that is not the standard for suffering. It can't be. The standard should be just getting through it. So 
Um, like I, I'd like to bit. put something in before you share your passage, yeah. which is that the uh, there's a, a way of talking about this um, called post-traumatic growth. It's being studied mm-hmm. as a field. And uh, one thing they emphasize is that growth doesn't seem to come unless there's struggle. Uh, that when people try to skip to growth yeah. and not and not um, kind of not walk the road up to that point, it tends not to lead there. I find that really um, resonant with my experience. You? Yeah. Um, yeah, completely. I like. I also don't think of grief as stages. I think it's like um, a giant hamster wheel. Um, or one of those clear plastic balls you can put a hamster in. Either way, we're hamsters in, the, in these <laughs> analogies. And, you know, like you just sort of go around and around and then like a new feeling will come up and it might return to you several times. Um, you know, because I, Aaron was sick for three years and your wife was sick for eight and a half. In some points, like his death, I had accepted it before it happened. Um, mm. And maybe even as it happened. And then all of a sudden I was not okay with it. And I was, you know, in like the magical thinking place where, you know, as long as I drove home and I didn't like walk in the back door, he could still sort of be alive. Like if I didn't open the bedroom door, he could still be in the bed. Um, If I didn't delete those voicemails, then they could be new ones. And, you know, anger also probably the grossest phase of grief um, comes back again and again. And I I, I tried to skip all of those feelings. I tried to skip all the gross ones because they weren't appealing. They aren't the kind of thing you can put on Instagram or Facebook. Um, and I don't particularly enjoy seeing them in other people. And I didn't want to look at them in myself either. And I, I think that's terrible. Honestly, like I spent a lot of time the first year after Aaron died, trying to make other people feel okay and trying mm. to convince everybody else that I was fine and not something to worry about. Um, and not something to really, uh, like, fawn over in any way. And really, if ever there were a time to just sort of, like, sit down and feel bad and feel all these ugly, terrible things that were real and were happening, it was then. But I tried to outrun them, and you just, you can't. So. Um, Absolutely. And, and you don't owe that to anybody. You don't owe anybody, you know, um, your, your, uh, uh, facade of happiness after something terrible has happened to you. But we, it's just this natural, I think this natural human condition to want to make everybody else feel comfortable at our own expense. Perhaps that's why so many grievers spend a ton of time by themselves uh, too. <laughs> I don't blame that, that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that kind of um, uh, imperative to not feel, not share how bad you're feeling is really a heavy weight to carry. Yeah, it is. And to know that, and to know that people see it and to say like, you know, you want people when they talk about you because it's remarkable what happened and people are going to, you want them to say like, she's, you know, she's really, she's doing really well. You don't want them to say like, well, I saw her, um, you know, threw a beer bottle against a wall. So like, I think she might be a little irritated. Um, or like, you know, I don't know, I started crying in the, in the, um, you know, grocery aisle at Target, which is totally fine to do. Um, 
you want you want people to think you're okay, and I don't know why. I don't know why we do that. It's, we just want other people well, to be uncomfortable. I mean, don't don't you think that's true of all feelings in our culture that we're supposed to kind of keep them to ourselves or a few choice best friends? And you know, will the day come when someone says she isn't this great? She shared her feelings in the Target. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> whatever the feelings are about. No big deal. You know? yeah. <laughs> wow, she's so open. Right? Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Look at that woman just feeling things. That's what I hope to. Wow. I, that's what I hope people say about me. But that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Look at that's just a person experiencing emotion. <laughs> so, would you like to share a little bit of that? Yeah. Sure. Um, this actually, like, this is on topic. This is on topic, guys. Um. Okay. Grief is weird, guys. Most people talk about it in nature terms, like it's a churning ocean with waves and riptides and eddies that can pull you under. But mine is more like an expert stalker, adept at sneaking up on me undetected and strangling me from behind. He's too slick for most people to even notice, but he's there in the shadows, lurking at the edge of my happy Instagram photos, waiting to choke me out. People want me to grieve, sort of. They want me to be sad, but not so sad that I get drunk and cry at a stylish bar downtown. They want me to be happy, but not so happy that I go on a date with a man in public and maybe let him kiss me. They want me to move on, but not too quickly, and with one I trained on the rearview mirror. They want me to grieve, but they don't want me to be a downer, like be mostly happy, and if it's not too much to ask, compartmentalize and schedule my grief for convenient times, like perhaps from 7 to 9 p.m. on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evenings. Be kind, we post on Facebook, for everyone you meet is facing a hard battle. We attribute that quote to everyone from Aristotle to Marilyn Monroe, and then we go about our business doing our best not to look at the hard things. Unless they're already over, in which case they're not a hard thing anymore. They're an obstacle overcome, an enemy vanquished. Now it's a success story with a happy ending. People want it to look easy. And I don't blame them because it's exhausting to watch someone struggle. Ask Lindsay Lohan. People don't want to see you falling out of a cab without your underpants on. They want to see you pretending to be twins who want their parents to get back together. (laughs) Oh, dear. So true. (laughs) True. (laughs) True. We owe Lindsay Lohan an apology for that. All of us. For sure. Somehow putting her in the box of inappropriate falling apart uh nests and and um isolating her in some sense yeah instead of feeling sure so that leads a little bit into something i just didn't want us to get out of here without talking about which Mm -hmm. is okay you're this young person you've lost your love I've lost my love. We've both been there. Yeah. Um, it's not depression. You're all opened up, actually. I think I mm-hmm. hear that from you. I know that was true for me. Yeah. Uh, and um, my wife had said to me, um, you're not allowed to not love again. Oh, that is so beautiful. What a human. Uh, what a beautiful human. Beautiful human. That is the truth. She yeah. said, we, we worked hard to really get it good. 
Yeah. To really, to really get it right. You're not allowed to waste that. Yeah. Right. But then it's kind of complicated. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I am remarried, so I found my way through that. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, it's been a long time for me. So I kind of have some sense of how I navigated that territory. But it's not as if what I found is when she died, I still wanted to, uh, I was actually having a deep, deep experience that I, that I wanted to share with her. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, totally. You know, and I couldn't do that, right? But, yeah. um, eventually that turned into wanting to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's this crazy thing at least for me, it felt crazy, the idea of dating. Uh, so I'd like your thoughts on that. Yeah. My friends gave me lots of advice. Most of it had something to do with lying about myself. Oh, God, uh, no. I, no. <laughs> and I just, I just could not. I could not. So no, I wondered <laughs> what it's no. been like for you. I know I have this, I have this group now that came out of, um, came out of all these losses called the hot young widows club. Um, you, you need to be neither hot nor young to join it. Just a name that I liked. Um, and it's a group of women. We have a website too, hotyoungwidowsclub.com. That's how you join. It's a secret Facebook group and it's men and women. It's really just one man, mainly women who have lost their partners their wives, their husbands. And this is a topic that comes up all the time. And it's not because the people that we love didn't want us to love again. Of course not. Any, any person who loved you that deeply that you went through something like this with, um, of course would, would want your future self to be happy. We know that, but there is something so fraught about it and something that to me, the challenge is that it makes their loss so much realer. Did you experience that? That oh, absolutely. And also, when I did finally um, become involved with my wife, the per- the person I'm married to mm-hmm. now, I-, I mean, for a solid year, I just kept seeing her death mask. You oh, know, totally. Yeah. The, the possibility of her dying was also so real. Uh, yeah, it was not I, a yeah. theory. <laughs> it was very real. So there was that in it too. Yeah. It, oh, completely. I went through a phase. I haven't done it in a while, but like every time I looked at someone, I would just see them dying. Um, I'd be talking to somebody, you know, like a, 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 a guy changing my oil and I would just imagine him dying and I'd cry and he would be, you know, um, uncomfortable. And <laughs> I couldn't quite explain. <laughs> too bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh no, I was just picturing you dying. That's all. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the experience of dating is, you know, and especially falling in love again, which has happened to me. And, and it's, it was very unexpected. And in some ways it's been hard for me to feel happy. Feeling happier has made me feel sad in some cases. Of um, because, you know, being close to somebody else does make me miss Aaron. And, I don't love Aaron any less, but we have this amazing ability. It's like the only renewable resource really on earth is that we, is love, is that our hearts have this, have more space in them than we thought. 
and that you can completely be in love with two people. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're, you, that loving someone new means, oh, like there's less love for, you know, my dead wife or my dead husband. And it doesn't mean that having that, that love, that eternal love for a person who is no longer here means you have less depth of emotion for a new person. They're, they're different. And you're different the second time that you fall in love than the first time. I'm not carefree. I am never carefree. Like mm-hmm. Aaron got to fall in love with like carefree Nora, who was like, whatever, we'll do whatever. Um, and this, this current man is in love with somebody who's like, you know, uh, who has like just more experiences to carry with her. And uh, and I don't know, I think like we all like, and I know so many like, you know, people in this situation and we all just want to feel like we're doing the right thing. And the only people possibly in the world who would judge you are people who haven't been through it. Yes. And who cares what they think, which is a <laughs> long road to get to. But I'm like, if your husband is still alive, I don't give a shit what you think about me dating again. Like, go be happy with your, your husband. Cool. Like, yeah. you didn't, you didn't well, squirt methadone I, in your husband's mouth. So I have to like, tell you, too, there's some way that my friends were not as far along the grief path as I was because I was doing it 24 hours a day. And when I yeah. fell in love again, they were like, I'm not ready. And I was like, yeah, because yeah, you haven't been doing this 24 hours a day. I am ready. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And you uh, know what? And they were, were going, through it. They were going through it with their own partner. <laughs> like they were going through it with somebody to help them through it. And you weren't because your person was gone. And so it's completely different experiences. And I think like, right. and I have had those, you know, this poor, this poor guy, like we're out. It's like, we've been dating for a couple of months at this point. And we're out at a restaurant. We're sitting at the bar because that's where there were seats. We're going to have to says, make it really quick because oh, we have about okay. 20 seconds. But I can imagine the rest of that okay. story. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so everyone, go and find Nora on her website, noraborealis.com, and check out her book. It's okay to laugh. Crying is cool, too. It's really wonderful. May 24th. Next oh, week. Next Tuesday. Yes! Next week, I'll welcome Claudia Bichen. Claudia's beautiful portraits and interviews with dying people capture the humanness of our last chapters. Join us for that. It's I've seen the, the pieces. They're just gorgeous. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.